Match Chat is brought to you by Walters. Walters is your spot before and after the U.S. Women's National Soccer Team's match against Nigeria. Match begins at 6 p.m. on Tuesday, September 6th at Audi Field. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. See if he runs again. One ball, two strikes. The set, he does not. The pitch swung on, hit in the air to deep right. Back goes Hanniger, way back to the warning track. He leaps, and he cannot get it. It is gone. It is gone. Goodbye. Bang, zoom. Ildemaro Vargas with a two-run homer to give the Nationals the lead once again here in the ninth inning. It's his third home run, his second as a National. It's now the Nationals three and the Mariners one. Cade Cavalli pitched on Friday. We're excited. You know, he's going to come. He's checked a lot of the boxes. You know, with that being said, like I said, with all the young guys, is you know, part of the process is patience, right? And so we're going to get him up here and get him going and um, and, and see how see how he does. But um, he's he's done well and and in, in Rochester really well, as as the numbers will indicate. But um, we'll get him up here and like I said, he'll get an opportunity to start here for us uh, the last five six weeks of the season. And welcome to Nats Chat for Thursday, August 25th, 2022, along with MadisonSports.com Nationals insider Mark Zuckerman, who is at T-Mobile Park in Seattle. I'm Al Galdi, host of the Al Galdi podcast. In a Nats season in which there has been so little to get excited about, it is time to get excited. That for which we had been yearning and pleading and begging finally is happening. The Nats are calling up their top pitching prospect, Cade Cavalli. The news broke on Wednesday afternoon. He will be making his major league debut on Friday night, home to the Cincinnati Reds at 7. The Nats took Cavalli with the number 22 pick in the 2020 MLB draft out of the University of Oklahoma. He is currently the number 58 prospect in baseball per MLB pipeline, and they're on Friday night will be an excitement and energy, the likes of which we haven't had at Nationals Park often, if at all, this season. So exciting news, big news. It is great to be with you to talk about it right now. And oh yeah, it's nice to be able to talk about a Nats win. The Nats won at the Seattle Mariners 3-1 on Wednesday behind the oh-so-clutch hitting of Ildemaro Vargas. Uh, Mark, when it rains, it pours. And when it's sunny, it's uh, awfully bright sunshine. That was some Wednesday for the Nats. Yeah, even in Seattle, the city of clouds. Beautiful, bright day, especially for the Nationals. I, when you said we finally got the news we've been waiting for all year, I thought you were referring to Ildemaro Vargas producing a go-ahead homer in the top of the ninth. I guess that's not what you were 
talking about. Although, you know, at least in the moment, that felt just as significant, at least for the purposes of this game. You know what? This wound up being a pretty good West Coast trip for the team. First of all, they went three and three and got some really good pitching. They only gave up 13 runs in six games on this trip against two playoff contenders. So you had that. They're playing a better brand of baseball. And now you're coming home to really the most exciting development in a long time. At last, we have the debut of their top pitching prospect. It's not going to be Strasmus. This isn't quite the same as that. We'll get into what is reasonably expected of Cade Cavalli. But all year long, we've known this was a losing season. We've known this is about rebuilding. And you're just waiting. Okay, when can we actually start seeing the fruits of all this? I think fans can accept losing if you're watching young players who are part of the future on the field doing it. Well, on Friday night, it looks like you're going to have Kate Cavalli on the mound, Cabert Ruiz behind the plate, C.J. Abrams at shortstop, and Luis Garcia at second base, assuming he comes off the IL, which is the intention. And then, as September plays out, you're probably going to see a rotation of Cavalli and Josiah Gray and Mackenzie Gore, who threw off a mound for the first time before this game in Seattle. That's a lot of positive developments involving young guys. That's what September is about for this team, no doubt about it. You know, you said it's not going to be Strasmus, and it probably will not be. The Nats, by the way, are branding Friday night as a Cade Day, as the Nats, shortly after the news became official, had a tweet that was out promoting buying tickets to Friday night. And by the way, I have no problem with that. You do what you need to do to sell tickets these days. But I will say this. I think Cade Cavalli's Major League debut is the biggest Major League debut for a Nats pitcher since Drosmus. I can't think of another one that is a bigger deal than this one. Now, you might say, well, Lucas Giolito was a highly regarded pitching prospect, and he was, but the Nats at the time of the Giolito debut were not starving for a young starting pitcher to emerge as they are right now. Like, part of this is Cavalli, part of this is the circumstance that the Nats are in. They are in dire need of Cade Cavalli panning out. And so I think there is a particular focus on him and what he is going to do and what he could end up becoming for the team. Like, I think in a lot of ways, there's more pressure on the team than there is on him. Like, on him, there's pressure, yes. On the team, I think there is immense pressure for this guy to pan out. This organization has not drafted and developed a starting pitcher who ended up panning out for them to a significant extent at the major league level since Strasburg. That needs to stop. That drought needs to end. You could argue that drought is the number one reason that the Nats are in the predicament that they're in. So, you know, I think this Cade Cavalli stint at the major league level for however long it lasts for, I think it's a huge deal. And I think Friday night is a really big deal. So, yeah, you took the words out of my mouth when you said the biggest one since. And I'm thinking to myself, well, Giolito was a bigger deal in terms of more highly touted as a prospect, but you're 100% right. There wasn't as much on the line for him. If I remember right, they called him up because they needed a fifth starter, and he actually came up and then went down, came up and went down a few different times on a team that was already loaded pitching-wise, was going to win its division that year no matter what. He was a little bonus to it, and as it turned out, really didn't do much and wound up getting traded that winner. So yeah, this one is different in terms of it's not Strasmus, but Cavalli is probably as important to the Nationals in 2022 as Strasburg was to the Nationals in 2010. Now they have more around him. If Mackenzie Gore is the real deal, Josiah Gray continues to develop, it's a little bit different. Cavalli doesn't necessarily have to be the number one guy because it looks like Mackenzie Gore could hold that title. But like you said, 
he needs to be something close to the real deal. Doesn't mean it has to be on his debut, but by the time you get to the end of September and let's say he's made five, six starts for them, whatever it ends up being, you want to come out of that and say, okay, yeah, we saw what everyone's been talking about. Maybe he wasn't perfect. Maybe he wasn't totally dominant, but we saw glimpses of what he can be. And there's every reason to believe that going into next season, he's going to be there from day one and along with Gore and Gray form the backbone of this rotation for a long time. Kate Cavalli was among the Nats' non-roster invitees to 2022 spring training. As you may recall, for a while, he was doing so well that there was conversation that he might break camp with the Nats. And Davey Martinez didn't exactly put out that fire. Davey kind of contributed to that. Then he had a bad outing, ended up being cut, went to AAA Rochester, and he got off to an awful start. First seven starts, ERA is 762. But lately, Cade Cavalli has been quite good. Last seven starts, 36 and two-thirds innings, ERA of 147, 43 strikeouts versus 12 walks. This is a guy who looks the part to whatever extent that matters. He's listed as being 6'4", 240 pounds. Simple question, maybe a complicated answer, but why now? Why do you think the Nats are calling up Cade Cavalli now? So I think there's a few things here. We talked about all summer how they were adamant that once they called him up, they wanted it to be for good. They didn't want to do it just for a start or two and then send him down, anything like that. We're at a point now where I think it's his last 13 starts with an ERA in the low twos, well under two over his last six starts, I think it was. Innings count has built up. Pitch count, he threw 109 pitches his last outing, went seven innings to start before that. So it's like he's checked off all the boxes. But I also think, and I, I speculated on this, I don't know, a week ago or so, I think, you just look at the schedule, okay? Friday night against the Reds, and then we don't know this for a fact, but his next turn should probably be in the finale of the homestand the following Thursday against the A's. Doesn't mean that he's guaranteed to dominate those teams, but those are two non-contenders. I think back to when the Nationals had Strasburg debut against the Pirates. He probably would have blown away anybody that night, but it was a good favorable matchup for him. So you're doing it at home, and the first two starts against lesser teams before you then get to September, at which point they're going to be playing a whole lot of NL East contenders. And Cavalli is going to get his shot to see what he can do at City Field and Citizens Bank Park and Truist Park. There's going to be matchups for him against the Phillies, the Braves, and the Mets, and that's going to be pretty telling. But this is a good way to ease him into that, I think, with two home starts against a couple of other rebuilding teams. So I think it's partly that. And then also understanding that Barring any health issues that he has the rest of the way, they're going to let him finish out the year. That is the plan. They're not shutting him down. They managed his innings up to this point. I'm sure they're going to be careful with him. They're not going to let him go crazy at 110, 115 pitches, anything like that. But he should be good to go the rest of the way. And I think that was important in their mind that they waited until now to do that. The Nats, after their 3-1 win at Seattle on Wednesday, option pitcher Corey Abbott to AAA Rochester. The rotation for this upcoming three-game series against Cincinnati at Nationals Park sets up as follows. Uh, game one, Friday night, Cade Cavalli. Game two, Saturday night, Paolo Espino. Game three, Sunday afternoon, Patrick Corbin. Josiah Gray's next start is being skipped. The idea is to monitor his workload. So then what? Uh, after the Red Series, what do you think the thinking is here? So Josiah is going to have one start skipped, and then they'll bring him back. It could be the following weekend in New York, perhaps. This was a way to let him make it through the season without being shut down. Remember, they gave him skip the start a little while back. They're going to do it again here. Could even happen another time before it's all said and done. But they actually do want him to get through the season and not just be sitting around watching them. So that's that. 
I would imagine when you see that Abbott went down right after he had been moved to the bullpen for a couple of days, I would think that the logical move there is Paolo Espino after he starts on Saturday, that they then move him to the bullpen to be a long man, a role that he's done well in. We've talked about how he's been more effective there than as a starter. And I would imagine that's the way they go for now. So you'd still have Annabelle Sanchez, you still have Patrick Corbin, Eric Fetty, who just came off the IL, and then Gray once he comes back, and Cavalli. Now, like I said, eventually Mackenzie Gore should be ready, come off the IL. We're still several weeks away from that happening. So that'll be a decision to make at some point. But I think Based on how everyone else has performed and what they're trying to do in terms of young guys in the innings and watching them, I think that's the way it's going to go for now. Are you a law firm partner looking for a better situation for your practice and a blockbuster contract worthy of Ildemaro Vargas? If so, you should call Mason Kalfas of Zenith Legal in Washington, D.C. Works with law firms and lawyers on finding the perfect match. No platoons just superstars. Some lawyers switch firms because of conflicts. Some lawyers switch firms for a better platform for their practice. And some lawyers switch firms for more money. You need the Scott Boris of legal headhunters working for you. And that's Mason. Mason will work with you to find a better fit for your practice and ultimately the best deal for you and your entire team. Call him today at 202-486-3535 or check out his website, zenithlegal.com. This is an unprecedented time in the legal market, and many top firms are looking to expand. Call Mason today. Zenith Legal also works with associates and distinguishes itself on personal service. Zenith Legal doesn't just spam resumes out to law firms. Zenith Legal talks to the right people and gets your resume in front of the decision makers who matter. Whether you are a Rainmaker partner or a mid-level associate, give Mason Kalfas at Zenith Legal a call today to accelerate your career. Call today, 202-486-3535. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Here's the say. 
Harvey delivers. Fastball swing and a miss struck him out. 100 miles an hour. And that's it for the Mariners. In the bottom of the fifth inning, a leadoff double. A ground ball moved the runner, and then Hunter Harvey into the game, strikes out Raleigh and Moore to get out of the inning. It's funny, just as the Nats now are starting to get some real legitimate starting pitching options, Hannibal Sanchez is actually pitching halfway decent. And, you know, you mentioned what the Nats did over the course of this 3-3 and trip out west, allowing just 13 runs over the six games. I and mean, that's pretty impressive. And, you know, you also think about it like this. You went 3-3 three and three despite totaling 16 runs over the six games. I mean, the Nats did not hit during this trip out west and yet ended up going 3-3 three and three against two pretty good teams in San Diego and Seattle. So the Nats get this 3-1 win at Seattle on Wednesday. And the pitching continues to be really good. Really, I think it's pitching and defense. Like, run prevention is there. The Nats are preventing runs right now to a degree that we have not seen you know, it's interesting. Last year after the fire sale, the Nats ended up hitting surprisingly well. This year after the quote-unquote fire sale of two trades, but one, of course, was a gargantuan trade, the Nats out of nowhere now are pitching and playing defense really well. So it's odd how these things play out. But Anibal Sanchez in this 3-1 win on Wednesday, good for a second consecutive start. Now, you know, we say good, it's good by Anibal Sanchez standards. He only went four and a third innings, but they were four and a third scoreless innings. He gave up just two hits, a double and a single. He issued two walks and a hit by pitch, two strikeouts, uh, threw 81 pitches over his four and a third innings. And this was off what he did in a 3-1 win at San Diego last Thursday night. One run in five innings in that game. And if you remember in that game, he only gave up one hit, uh, what was a solo home run by Manny Machado. Anibal Sanchez, first six starts this season for the Nats at the Major League level, ERA of 7.20. Since then, back-to-back good outings here on this trip out west. So nine and a third innings over his last two starts, only one run allowed on three hits. So yeah, I mean, it's getting the job done. Now, is he going deep in games? No. But particularly in this case, knowing they had just had an off day on Monday, they have another one coming up on Thursday. Davey had a fresh bullpen. He said, I don't need five, six innings out of you. Get me to a point where we are in the game, and then I'm going to go call on our relievers. And I thought it was a really kind of savvy move, the kind of thing that if they were in the middle of a pennant race, you'd make a bigger deal out of than the fact of where they are right now. Bringing in his flamethrower, Hunter Harvey, in the fifth inning, with a runner on third to get out of a jam. And that's exactly what Harvey did. Back-to-back strikeouts. He hit 100 miles an hour on his last pitch. I thought that was a really effective use of him there by Davey. And I know for all the fans of pitcher wins that they're frustrated by that because Anibal could not qualify at that point for a win, even though they were ahead one nothing. It's now 41 straight games in which the national starter has not earned a win. But I think the last week, should have shown everybody that pitcher wins are not the best way to determine pitcher performance because they have been getting strong starting pitching over the last week, even though none of them have actually had a W next to their name. Yeah. I mean, I think that streak for the Nats is reflective of the reality of the starting pitching not being good. But yeah, I mean, pitcher wins is maybe the single most meaningless stat in sports. I don't know. You'd have to think about like what is more meaningless than that, but it certainly is up there. I mean, hey, with Anibal Sanchez, you get whatever you can out of him, okay? You're not, like, grooming him for anything. You're not developing him for anything. He's just here to occupy a spot in the rotation, get some outs for you. And, you know, I would presume when Mackenzie Gore is ready, Anibal's the odd man out unless somebody's injured. I can't imagine taking someone else out in order to keep Anibal Sanchez in your rotation for the rest of this season, what is a lost season. But nice job by Anibal over these last two outings. 
You mentioned Hunter Harvey. So this run for the Nats bullpen did continue on Wednesday. Four Nats relievers combined to allow one run in four and two-thirds innings with seven strikeouts. And Hunter Harvey, you know, this gets kind of lost. Look, he has missed a lot of time this season. He obviously has been ravaged by injury in his career. Uh, Hunter Harvey was out from April 21st to July 10th with a right pronator strain. But Hunter Harvey now for the Nats, 20 and two-thirds innings, 23 strikeouts, and a whip of 0.97. He comes into the game, bottom of the fifth, runner on third, one out, Nats up one nothing, gets those back-to-back swinging strikeouts. This is a guy who the Nats claimed off waivers from San Francisco in March. We know that he's always had the talent. It's always been a matter of staying healthy. But it's funny with him, it's been around a long time. This is only his age 27 season. He's not nearly as old as people may think. He was a first-round pick in 2013. He still is in his 20s with years to go until his 30s. He costs you nothing. I mean, to me, keep him around for next season. If somehow, you know, you capture lightning in a bottle and he stays healthy, great. But even if he doesn't stay healthy, even if he only gives you, say, 40 innings in a season, those could be 40 quality innings. He is a strikeout guy. He has been throughout his career. And we're seeing that here during his run with the Nats. Yeah. So look, we said all along with him, you can't count on anything because he gets hurt all the time. But when he's been healthy for those few moments during his career, he's been very good. He came into this game with a career 330 ERA in 47 games, a career whip under 1.1, more strikeouts than innings pitched, only 6.8 hits allowed per nine innings. This guy has been very effective. And right now, it's probably the best sustained uh, stretch of his professional life because he's been able to stay healthy, but he's throwing gas in a way that very few Nationals relievers have thrown over the years. So he provides something that they have not had hardly at all. Are we sure he's going to hold together physically? No, you have no way of knowing that. You can't counter that, but you keep him around as long as he is doing that. He's under team control. He's still young, like you said. If he could get through this season and avoid the IL again, That's a huge win for him and a big win for the organization. We've talked about how they haven't had a lot of wins this year in terms of like the signings and trades and just things that you said at the end of the year, well, this guy turned out to be better than they thought he would be. This has the potential to be a big one for them if he can somehow stay healthy and keep pitching like this. He's done a nice job, and he certainly did a nice job on Wednesday. Victor Arano won in a third scoreless innings, two strikeouts. Carl Edwards Jr. won run one in a third innings. Uh, gave up a game-tying two-out solo homer by Julio Rodriguez to left field to tie the game at one in the bottom of the eighth. But the Nats came back with two runs in the top of the ninth, and Kyle Finnegan notched a four-out save, one in a third scoreless innings. Uh, he did run into some trouble in the bottom of the ninth, gave up a leadoff double to Eugenio Suarez, issued a two-out four-pitch walk of Adam Frazier. But the job ultimately was accomplished, and the Nats bullpen capped off a really nice run here for Nats pitching out west. Hey guys, it's Al Galdi for Window Nation. It is time for Window Nation's back to school sale. And what a sale this is. Two free windows for every two windows that you buy, plus pay nothing with no interest until 2025. Visit windownation.com or call 866-90NATION and tell Window Nation that Al Galdi sent you. Window Nation windows are the best. Lower your energy bills. Raise the value of your home with new energy-efficient windows from Window Nation. Get an A-plus in savings by taking advantage of the back-to-school sale. Again, 
Two free windows for every two that you buy, plus pay nothing with no interest until 2025. Window Nation knows exactly what it's doing. The average Window Nation installer has over 16 years of experience with over 20,000 windows installed. And Window Nation offers a variety of windows. Over 1,500 custom window combinations are available, vinyl, wood, and fiberglass. Visit windownation.com or call 866-90NATION and tell Window Nation that Al Galdi sent you and ask for the back-to-school sale. Again, buy two windows, get two windows free on any style of new window from Window Nation, plus pay nothing until 2025. That's windownation.com or 866-90-NATION, windownation.com or 866-90-NATION, and tell Window Nation that Al Galdi sent you. Now a word from our sponsor, BetterHelp. The way I take care of my mind is daily exercise. It is essential for me. There are plenty of ways to support a healthy brain, like learning a new language or taking power naps. There's also BetterHelp Online Therapy. Everyone I know who does therapy swears by it. It feels like all I hear these days is how you have to start doing therapy. BetterHelp is online therapy that offers video, phone, and even live chat-only therapy sessions, so you don't have to see anyone on camera if you don't want to. It's much more affordable than in-person therapy and you don't have to fight traffic or look for parking. Our listeners get 10% off their first month at BetterHelp.com slash NatsChat. That's BetterHelp.com slash NatsChat. Third baseman Vargas towards shortstop. Here's the set of the pitch. Swing and a drive to deep center. Robles going back, shading his eyes. He's on the warning track. He makes the catch. He makes the catch. And bang, zoom, uh, Curly W's in the books. A drive to the warning track in deep center on the first pitch. And Raleigh made a bid and had the fans on their feet. Now they can turn and head for the exits as the Nationals empty out of their dugout onto the field to celebrate a victory and a split of this series in Seattle. Now, we mentioned the hero of the day offensively for the Nats, Ildemaro Vargas. There are like so many things about what Ildemaro Vargas is doing right now that stand out. First of all, this is a guy who is known for his defense, not his hitting. Okay. Second of all, this is someone who the Nats brought on board only to replace someone who really hadn't played much for them this season, A. Ray Adrianza. Uh, Ildemaro Vargas is kind of like the super utility man replacement for A. Ray Adrianza, who was traded away by the Nats the day before trade deadline day on August 2nd. Third of all, Ildemaro Vargas is an older player, age 30 season. He's not someone who you look to as like any kind of a potential building block or anything like that. And then fourth of all, he has replaced Michael Franco as the everyday third baseman, who for the longest time this season, it felt like it was set in stone that Michael Franco had to be the Nats every game third baseman. Vargas on Wednesday, two for four with a two-run homer and a single. In that two-run ninth, he had a tie-breaking two-run homer with two outs to right center field on a 1-2 pitch for a 3-1 Nats lead. He earlier in the game, top of the fifth, had a single to right field on an 0-2 pitch. I said to myself, all right, Vargas seems to be hitting pretty well. What is he doing this season as a batter for the Nats? He has an OPS of 804. I couldn't believe that when I saw that. He's been one of their better batters here over the last few months. This is really shocking what he's doing offensively. If you just look at since the trade deadline and say who have been their best position players, I think there's a case that's Joey Manessis number one and Ildemaro Vargas number two. 
Gabriel Ruiz has had his moments. CJ Abrams has done some stuff. He hasn't hit a whole lot. Luke Voigt did a little bit, but we haven't really seen a lot out of him either. I think there's a case for that. And a hundred percent, he has completely supplanted Michael Franco at third base to the extent that if Luis Garcia comes off the IL on Friday, which is what their intention is, barring any setbacks for him the next couple of days on rehab, they've got to make a move. It's not going to be Ildemar or Vargas. And I think the fact that Franco isn't just on the bench, but he is buried on the bench. They are not using him at all. There was one game, I think, in San Diego, came with a pinch hit in the ninth inning because he was literally the last man standing. That says a lot to me about where their intentions are here. Michael Franco, I know he was never supposed to be the guy here. It was a minor league signing. Carter Keeboom was going to be the third baseman when he needed Tommy John surgery, threw a wrench into everything, and Franco had to take over there by default. I think we may have finally reached a point where they have found somebody else to hold down that job for the rest of the year. And I'll say this too, going into next year, I'm not at all suggesting they're going to give Vargas a spot in the starting lineup going into 2023. But if you need to go into the offseason with a reliable backup infielder who can play all the different positions, play them well, and as we've seen, has a little knack at the plate for something, I 100% think we're going to see him back here in that role. Ideally, you're looking at an infield of Garcia at second, Abrams at short, and then they expect Keeboom to come back from his surgery. Maybe they go make another move for another third baseman. I don't know. I think Vargas, if he keeps this up the rest of the season, he's positioning himself to be back here in 2023. Yeah. I mean, he can be what I think Alcides Escobar should have been, which is like your super utility man for the following season, because this may be Alcides Escobar 2.0 and the magic is gone next season for Vargas, although he is younger and it's a little different for him versus what it was for Alcides. Uh, but yeah, he's on a nice run. And, you know, maybe this ends up being a win for the Nats front office. And that signed Vargas as a free agent this past May. So, you know, here's a guy, you know, you got off the scrap heap and he's producing for you quite nicely. I mean, going into Wednesday, Vargas had accumulated 0.4 wins above replacement for baseball reference over 17 games as a Nat. That's that's a lot of war to have totaled over 17 games. And that's only going to go up with what he did on Wednesday. So really nice job. Uh, by Ildemaro Vargas. Also for the Nats in this game was a run in the first inning. Yeah, the Nats are allowed to do this. Score early in games. They have not done this often this season. Certainly had not done this often on the road trip, but they did do this in this game. Top of the first, three consecutive one-out singles. Joey Manessis, Luke Voigt, and uh, Nelson Cruz with the RBI single to give the Nats the one nothing lead. You also had Kevin Ruiz in this game, getting on base twice. He had himself a double and a walk, what was the Nats' only walk in the game. So, you know, look, the Nats continued to not hit. They, in this game, only had three runs, uh, had nine hits, seven of which were singles, only drew the one walk, 11 strikeouts, one for six with runners in scoring position. You know, this is how it's probably going to be the rest of the season, barring some unforeseen offensive eruption. So if they're going to win, it's going to have to be with pitching and defense. Uh, neither has been a strength this season. But each has been a strength lately, and we saw that on this road trip. So you mentioned how the pitching has been better, and I think it goes hand in hand with the defense. And let's look at what's changed over there. You have Vargas now at third base. You have Abrams at shortstop. I think the left side of the infield, completely different. I think that has made a difference for them. Is that the only reason? No, but I think it's part of the equation. And we've wondered all along, like, could the pitching staff really be this bad? Or are they hurt by the fact that just not enough balls that are put into play are being converted into outs by the guys behind them, especially when you have some starting pitchers in particular who are not high strikeout guys? So I think it does make a difference, and I think that's been a big part of it. They looked really good 
this last week, they're going to face, like we said, a couple of other uh, rebuilding teams in the Reds and A's. So you would hope they could maybe keep it going. The real test comes after that. You have a road trip to the Mets, the Cardinals, and the Phillies, and then a bunch of games against the NL East down the stretch. That'll be the true indicator of have they turned a corner there? Is this actually different, or is this more a function of who they've been playing? The other thing that's kind of interesting with the schedule right now is the Nats do have a good number of off days. The Nats' schedule over the first few months was, first of all, uh, heavily featuring good teams. We talked about that. But the other thing was the Nats had very few off days earlier in the season. For the longest time, if you looked at team leaderboards, the Nats had like two or three more games played than most other teams in the majors. And obviously, at the end of this thing, they're all at 162. So it all evens out. And the Nats, they had the off day on Monday. They have an off day on Thursday. They then have another off day coming up this coming Monday. So they're kind of getting a breather here a little bit. And I do think that that's part of why we have seen Davey be pretty aggressive with the bullpen lately. You know, five relievers in this game, five relievers in that game. You yank Anibal Sanchez after four innings and change, that kind of a thing. So I think that that's helping too. The Nats are able to breathe a little bit right now. Remember, they had some brutal stretches against not just good teams, but, you know, like that set against the Phillies, right? Five games in four days. And it's like, it's it's like it's almost uh, inhumane what the Nats had to do in terms of a schedule, you know, especially given the state of the team this season. So I think that helps, too, when you can kind of relax a little bit, breathe a little bit, and uh, and have an off day here or there. Yeah, they've noted that throughout this little stretch here, and it has allowed him to manage things differently. Go back to that stretch there when they were having trouble getting their starters out of the third, the fourth inning, and they had to go to the bullpen, and then there were no off days coming up, and they were just stuck. There was nothing they could do. They're finally in a position where they're getting better quality starting pitching, and because of the off days, they can go to more relievers and not worry about the workload, and it worked to perfection, I think, on Wednesday. Now you can hit the reset button again and go into the weekend and do whatever you want for a three-game series against Cincinnati. Yeah, it's interesting, too, because MLB released its 2023 schedule on Wednesday. And, uh, you know, that's what MLB does, right? On a random Wednesday in August, puts out the schedule for the next season. But in looking at the Nats' schedule, you know, you're not going to be coming off a lockout next year. You're not going to have this rushed, condensed schedule. And so you look at the Nats' schedule, and you see, not every week, but in many weeks, an empty white box. You see off days. Like it's a more normal schedule. It's much more of a manageable schedule. This schedule this year, because everyone insisted on doing the 162, because everyone everyone wants to make every last nickel and dime. And hey, God bless them for that. But there's a price to be paid for that in terms of lack of off days. I think this will be good next year. You have a more proper schedule instead of like trying to jam in all these games into a tight period of time. I think that has worked against the Nats this year, especially again, because they're a bad team. If they were a better team, a deeper team, it'd be different. Given their state, this was not a good season in which to have this condensed schedule. No, the other thing that's going to stand out when you look at that schedule for next year and we'll feel it next year, this is the first time now that everybody plays everybody else in baseball. They will face every American League team for the first time next year. Half of them come to DC, the other half they go on the road. And what's that at the expense of? Division games. Instead of playing 19 games against every team in your division, they're only going to play 13. For this team in this division, what we've seen from it this year, I don't see how that cannot help the Nationals out in 2023. You're going to see the Braves a couple times early, I think again in maybe June, and then you don't see them again till end of September. Things like that, it's not going to feel like they're just constantly playing NL East teams the way that at times this year it has felt. Yeah, I don't know what to make of the Nats being so bad against the National League East this season. Like, I don't know how much of that is just kind of random and flukish. I mean, especially given that they've been particularly bad against the Marlins 
versus how much of that is the state of the NL East. The NL East is better. There's no doubt about that. But like, okay, next year, you're going to end up playing, you know, the Yankees. You're not playing the Yankees this year. So like, I don't know if it works in in your favor or not. I don't know if next year, if you played the Marlins 19 times, you're going to end up being owned by them the way you've been owned by them this year. I don't really understand why that's been the case. It is perplexing, though, because if the Nats didn't play National League East games this season, they'd be a borderline playoff contender, if you can believe that. The Nats actually have been okay against other divisions. They just have been dominated by the National League East. Uh, But yeah, I mean, no, no more do we have 19 games against every team in your division. I mean, that is a big change. It is. They have played very respectable against everyone else, and particularly out West. They've had a nice season out west this is actually the last uh, trip they make out here which i know you and tim are happy about no more late nights on the east coast for you recording and editing these things but they have played much better uh in california and state of washington than they have on the east coast all right cade cavalli friday night this is the last time we'll chat on this podcast anyway uh, prior to the game on friday night how long do you think cade day ends up lasting for against the reds on friday night oh boy i remember Years ago, I had to predict what Strasburg was going to do in his debut, and I purposely set the bar very low, set the expectations low, and then he can only exceed them. And then he winds up exceeding them by a ridiculous amount. I will say this. I think it's a good matchup for him against the Reds. I think they did that on purpose. If he can keep the pitch count relatively low, and he's going to do that by throwing quality strikes, a lot of his success has come from breaking balls that are out of the zone that he gets them to chase good hitters won't chase those pitches. And that's where he gets into trouble sometimes. If he can get them to chase a little bit or keep enough of those pitches in the zone or looking like they're going to be strikes, I think he has a chance to be pretty successful. But I also know they are going to be careful with him. This is the first of five or six starts for him probably. They wanted to make it all the way through the end of the season. So I will say five innings, two runs with seven strikeouts, maybe three walks, pitch count, around 90 or so. And I will say, this will be fitting, that the streak will end and Cade Cavalli will be the Nationals' first starting pitcher to get a curly W since July 6th. Wouldn't that be great if Cade Cavalli in his first major league start snapped that drought? My preseason prediction was that Cade Cavalli on the final day of the Nats' regular season would prevent them from losing 100 games. I don't think that that's going to happen. Maybe he can prevent them from losing 110 games. Maybe that's the way to go. But yeah, I think your prediction makes a lot of sense. You know, I'd say, I don't know, just to be a little different, three runs, five and a third innings. He has issued some walks. So I think that would be something to keep an eye on, you know, do the walks drive up the pitch count on Friday night. But this is going to be fun. This will be a game with true meaning, true purpose. And uh, we're all excited and certainly all rooting for Cade Cavalli. Before we go, want to give a quick little shout out. I was really impressed. There were a lot of Nats fans in the crowd here in Seattle. You don't expect to see that this far away from home. You could tell them all the people in red in a crowd in a stadium that is dark green seats and an opposing team that wears blue. So you could definitely see all the red. And I want to particularly say thanks to a couple of loyal listeners of ours, David Janis and his son, Aiton. They contacted Tim and Tim got the message to me they were going to be on this trip. They actually saw a game in San Diego then went to Dodger Stadium and saw a game and then came up here to Seattle to see this game. And they finally got to walk away with a win. So thank you, David and Aiton. It was great to meet you. And it's been very cool, as we've talked about, to see listeners of ours, not just in home games, but literally all around the country, all around the major leagues. It's been a very cool thing to see. 
Yeah, a salute to our friend Val, who wore her Paolo Espino secret weapon Nats Chat Podcast t-shirt to T-Mobile Park for Nats Mariners this week. We thank Val very much for that. If you are ever wearing your Nats Chat Podcast t-shirt out in public, let us know. Send us a picture. We'll uh, give it some pub at Nats underscore chat on Twitter. You can email the podcast, Nats Chat Podcast at gmail.com. You can get yourself a Nats Chat Podcast t-shirt by going to Nats Chat Podcast dot square dot site. All Nationals radio highlights on that chat are courtesy of 106.7 The Fan. For Mark Zuckerman, I'm Al Galdi, and we'll talk to you next time after K-Day on the Nats Chat Podcast. With the 22nd pick of the 2020 MLB draft, the Washington Nationals select Cade Cavalli, a right-handed pitcher from the University of Oklahoma.